Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode for Slug Street Insider. I'm your host, Dariush, the founder of Slug Street. Today, we have us with us with us a special guest who is a fellow Banana Slug alumni and senior technical products manager at Amazon. I would like to welcome to the pod, Sammy Gorbanian. Hey, everyone. Um, I'm Sammy Gorbanian. Uh, thanks for the intro, Dariush. I am a UCSE grad and former Banana Slug. Um, I've worked in the tech sector for almost 10 years across Google, Uber, and most recently Amazon, where I'm a senior tech PM um, and excited to, to chat with you all today. Um, before we jump in, I did want to express that my opinions are my own and don't represent the opinions of my past employers or my current employer, Amazon, or any of its affiliates, but I'm super excited to share um, what insights I can with everyone today, and thanks for having me on the show. All right, so we're just going to ask a series of questions. Uh, first up, are from our UCSC question bank. So, Sammy, what colleges college were you affiliated with at UCSC? Yeah, I was affiliated with Kresge um, for no reason other than I wanted an apartment my first year rather than um, spending time on a on a dorm floor and having to share a bathroom with a lot of people. But uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. I loved it. And what did you major in at UCSC? Yeah, I majored in business management economics, and I minored in technology information management. Um, I think it's called TIM for short. Uh, so it was a nice blend of business courses, understanding economics, and understanding and building technical systems in the real world. So yeah, it was great. How did you like your time at UCSC? I loved it. Uh, what I miss most is like hiking through the forest and seeing banana slugs on the way to class. Um, and of course, you can't beat the the view of the ocean from the field. Um, and it's just a super fun campus. I made a ton of lifelong friends, and one of which I'm actually going to her wedding this weekend. Um, but yeah, I, I had a blast. Great. So what classes at UCSC helped prepare you for your career? Yeah, a lot of different classes in different capacities, but I'll list like four areas that stood out um, within my past 10 years of experience. So first, all the economics courses I took, um, micro, macroeconomics, the beginner and, and more advanced courses, these are really helpful to just understanding how businesses work in general, um, how to you know maximize profit, minimize costs. Um, and then broader macroeconomic principles, such as an applicable one right now, like interest rates and inflation. What does that mean for businesses, how much they can spend and invest, and ultimately how much money gets invested in the public as well? Um, I think that's super applicable in pretty much any line of work, uh, public or private sector. Beyond that, I would say more of the math courses, so statistics, econometrics, calculus, these ones are really applicable as I, within um, product management, you're oftentimes launching products, running experiments to determine the efficacy of your products and how they're helping the business. So being able to measure this, um, calculate the rate of change, understand if your results are statistically significant are super important um, and stuff that we use all the time. Um, beyond that, there were some courses in, in the Tim Minor, specifically for around product development. I did a project outlining how I would build a newer, better version of like an Xbox, for instance. So understanding how each component and its functions end up 
creating a, a broader comprehensive product and how to develop it. Um, and then tech in e-commerce, or I forgot ex the exact name, but that's where I first learned about like augmented reality around the time, like Snapchat filters are becoming popular, but we didn't understand like the full power of AR and eventually VR in the world. So that was really cool. And uh, other, you know, general business courses like marketing, you know, it tells you what makes a business like Nordstrom successful and, and how they market themselves, the return policies, things like that. So a culmination of all of these and probably a ton of others that, that could also be applied, but these are kind of like the top four or five areas that, that stand out in my mind today. So once you graduated uh, college, could you please share us with us your career? Where did you start out from graduating at UCSC and how did you end up in your current role? Yeah, so um, I, I will stress the importance of getting a referral to a job from someone who already works at that company. Um, that's basically how I got my job. I got a contracted position working at the Google self-driving car project before it was spun off into Waymo. Um, and how I had gotten the job is my brother, I think, was also contracted at Google and passed off my resume to the third-party recruiter. And um, before you knew it, I went through a series of interviews and landed a job testing robot cars all day, um, which was really interesting. Um, I basically got to sit in a car uh, and tell it when it was driving and doing things wrong, um, which was cool because I got to learn the tech stack pretty much from like the hardware components to the firmware to the autonomy systems and software like that are the brains of the vehicle. So um, got a lot of really great experience there and understood, you know, how these companies run, the software release process, um, principles of like safety and like engineering best practices. So um, really would advise, you know, you're probably out of school going to get in somewhere sort of more or less at the ground floor, but it's a really good opportunity to learn um, about how these companies work from like more of a bottoms up approach. Um, and then from there, I pretty much spent more time in the self-driving vehicle industry, joining a self-driving trucking startup, where we actually delivered the first autonomous freight delivery, which was effectively a, a glorified beer run for Budweiser in Colorado. And shortly thereafter, I was a part of a classic Silicon Valley acquisition story where we were shortly acquired by Uber. Um, and that's where I really got to test my, my hand at product management and really learning about how we can, you know, work customer backwards and, and build products to, for people to, you know, make their life easier and solve problems. So after I, uh, I joined that PM program, I, I learned the ropes and never looked back. Um, and now since then, I was at Uber for about four years and I've been at Amazon now almost three years. So it's been, it's been a great adventure. What strategies did you use to get your foot in the door? Yeah, I alluded to this earlier. It's it's in today's era, it's it's very much about referrals. So by referrals, that means you should find someone who works at the company that you're applying for and ask if they can refer you. Now, in the private sector, like at these companies, uh, that's that's typically the the name of the game. And usually, if this person refers you and you end up getting hired and you know are in the job for a certain period of time the the person sending the referral can also get 
some sort of an incentive, like a, a cash or stock like bonus or something like that. So it's usually pretty mutually beneficial, but getting your foot in the door by finding someone who works at say like the Googles, Amazons of the world who can, who can vouch for you and refer you um, is, is a great first step. Now, I know probably a lot of people know that um, there's different strategies to like accomplishing this. Some of the, I guess, more basic ones I'm familiar with is just, you know, finding people on LinkedIn through your connections, um, going to different like networking events, mixers. Um, there's also different organizations like Girls Who Code and, and probably just a ton of other organizations in, in Silicon Valley you could join just to meet people and network. But um, referrals are always going to be your best bet to even getting an interview and not just like sending your resume into it the ether through like the online um, application system. And uh, of course, with that, once you are sending in a resume of sorts, you need to obviously reflect the keywords that are in the job rack or the job listing. Um, make sure that you're highlighting experience in um, your, your work experience and or you know classes, projects that relate directly to the posting and um, and you also want to make sure that you show that you're marked to open to work on LinkedIn. I think it's like you can do that in the back end on your settings. But those are just some key tips that I have. But um, ultimately, it, it works best if you know someone who already works there. What does your current role entail? What does your day-to-day -day look like for you? Yeah, so as a product manager, the buck sort of starts and stops with you. And what I mean by that is you need to be the mini CEO of your product. Um, if you think about it, you're sort of like the center of a spider web connecting all these other strands. One of the strands could be your engineering team who needs to build the product. Another is your design team and the user experience researchers who are helping um, build out a product per your customer's needs and specifications um, and helping you understand what your customers really want. Um, there is the legal team that obviously needs to, you know, green light and give you approvals that, you know, the product that you're looking to build um, from a legal perspective are, are all compliant and your PR team making sure that, you know, we're aware of any potential public relations impact. Um, your leadership team, effectively your bosses and your boss's bosses who provide the funding and, and sort of uh, give you the go ahead to build things. Um, and it goes without saying, but we'll call it out, like being very close to your customers as well. Um, you know, keeping, a, keeping close to what, what they're saying, their feedback um, and, and the problems that they're experiencing. And you as a product manager bring all these strands together. So you might be you know, having brainstorming sessions with your UX and design team. You might be crunching some of the numbers that you got on a recent um, survey or experiment that's been run that can help give you insights for a new product. Um, you might be writing documentation on this product idea, um, and you might be holding review meetings to socialize your ideas and get feedback from your bosses, your partner teams, your stakeholders. So. At any given point in time, you could really be doing a myriad of things. It just depends on um, where you're at in more of either like the conceptual phase and thinking up an idea or in the execution phase where you're really bringing it to market and working closely with your development 
an operations team to, to get it out the door. What are some obstacles you have encountered as a product manager? Yeah, there is obstacles we encounter every day. Um, I like to think about this as like a triangle. Um, in one corner of the triangle, you have your scope. This is like the overall complexity of your product or feature that you're launching. You have resources and that's pretty much your bandwidth, your time and all your team's time and headcount to really build out this product and, and accomplish that minimum lovable product or vision that you have in mind. And then the last corner of the triangle is time. Um, how much time do you have to build this thing? Do you have three years? Do you have six months? Do you have six weeks? Um, and so you're always constantly kind of struggling between these three sides of the triangle. Um, to, put, to put it into an example, right? Um, in order to meet the six month deadline, um, we need more resources and support from a partner team because our development speed hasn't been as fast as we would have liked. So we either need, you know, more support from the partner team or we need to like push out our deadline, right? Um, maybe we get new insight from a customer survey or customer feedback during interviews and we find actually we need to increase the scope. We need to add this new feature that we weren't thinking of before. Um, then you need to think about how that impacts the other two sides of the triangle. Of the, triangle. the resources, you have to build it in the time allotted to you. So you're always constantly sort of negotiating between these things. Um, and it usually the, the path forward is to get it resolved through a combination of like listening to the folks involved, the stakeholders, um, looking at the data and the facts that are driving your decision-making, and ultimately what is best for the customer, what does your customer need, um, and making sure that you, you stay firm on that. So in some of these cases, you may need to escalate to your bosses or leadership to get them results, um, but generally, you know, making sure that you can stay sort of I call it stubborn on the vision, flexible on the details. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes you might need to sacrifice your scope, resources, or timelines to, to make things work. This is a very common thing um, we experience in product management, common obstacles, I should say. What is the interviewing process like for product managers? Yeah, so um, I I have been in quite a few PM interviews on both sides of the table of, as the interviewee and interviewer. Um, and usually just it's a culmination of a series of interviews. So I'm not really gonna go into the phone screen too much. That's, that's typically a more preliminary conversation with someone from the team, not necessarily the recruiter phone screen, but someone from the team just to see you know, what is your experience? Is it up to par with the role that they're looking to fill? Um, you know, can you talk about your accomplishments in a concise and informative way? Um, and really getting a sense of, of what you're looking for and your, your suitability for the role. Then you get into more of the, the meaty interviews. It's typically a series of interviews where they're really trying to get a sense of what is called product sense or, you know, your ability to understand a customer need and ideate on a solution um, using the right principles to develop um, a product and, and satisfy that customer problem or business need. 
Um, there's sort of behavioral interviews can be common as well, where they ask you, you know, tell me about a time where you've led a, a project from start to finish. Um, there's also an execution-based interview. Maybe they'll give you a, a hypothetical question, like you're the PM at Airbnb launching a customer-facing sustainability score. Tell us how you would bring this to market. Um, and then there's some more, oftentimes they just wanna understand um, either your, your technical chops or your ability to work with technical teams, um, how you handle sort of those trade-offs, challenges, um, and making sure that you're at like the right technical level um, for that role, which at different companies can totally mean different things. Um, sometimes you don't really need to know much about technology and other products and teams and companies. You might need to have a stronger engineering background. Um, and then from there, I, I would also say something else I've seen in my experience is um, they might require like a writing sample um, and give you like a writing exercise of sorts, but it totally varies and can totally depend just based on the company itself. So I've heard that KPIs are something product managers use. Could you explain what a KPI is? Absolutely. Um, KPIs stand for Key Performance Indicator, aka success metrics. So these are metrics that you track to understand if the product or feature you're working on is successful or not once it's been launched. Effectively, this shows that if your experiment or hypothesis you had around your product is successful and meets the business goal you wanna achieve, um, and it can dictate your broader launch and scaling decisions. So let me put this into an example. So say you're launching a customer service chatbot at Alaska Airlines. You want a chatbot that can answer your customer's basic questions and resolve issues in an accurate and timely fashion to save Alaska Airlines money on their operational costs that they use to staff a ton of agents around the clock. So a KPI, as a PM of the Alaska Airlines chatbot, a KPI that you might measure um, would actually take a look at maybe your issue resolution rate your accuracy, your speed. So by resolution rate, I mean, how often are we resolving customers' issues with the chatbot? Like what is your success rate? Um, you might also look at your average handling time. How fast does a chatbot actually resolve your customers' problems? Um, you, you also wanna keep a pulse on the customer satisfaction. These are things like, is your do your customers say that they're satisfied with your product? Typically like a liquor, scale overall, how satisfied are you with this product, one to five, something like that. So those are like some of the key top of mind KPIs that you'd probably want to look at to, again, tell you if your product is successful or not. Some counter metrics that you might look at to tell you if something is wrong is maybe your escalation rate. So how often are issues started within the chatbot? but then eventually have to be kicked over to a human operator because the chatbot can't resolve it. Is the escalation rate or the rate at which it's actually going to a human to be solved, is that increasing? If so, that means your chatbot isn't resolving as many issues as you think it would have, which could be an indicator that um, it's, it's not successful or maybe you need to narrow the scope or the types of questions that it can answer. 
Lastly, I want to talk about vanity metrics. So these are metrics that you might be tracking for your product, but don't actually tell you if it's successful or not in solving the customer problem that you set out to solve in the first place. A good example of one of these is if you were to measure the number of messages the chatbot sends per issue type. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? It's, it's not really telling us the health of the product if it's solving the customer's problems. I mean, it could be used as a proxy for that or to further refine our approach. For instance, if there's a high number of messages, that could, that could be a signal that we need to simplify our workflow or maybe it's just handling a high number of complex cases that require more messages. It doesn't really tell us if the chatbot is successful at meeting the customer's needs and resolving their issues accurately and quickly. So um, that's just a little bit about some KPIs, counter metrics that you can also use, and a cautionary tale about vanity metrics, which are metrics that you might want to measure, but aren't considered a KPI, which determines if your product has been a success or not. When defining a roadmap for a product or feature, do you ever have to evolve it as you progress through the product lifecycle? Almost 100% of the time. Um, there's a lot of work that goes into a product in the ideation phase, or I refer to this as the conception phase before execution. Um, and the execution phase is where you like build and launch the product or experiment. But there's a lot of data along the way and insights that you might capture directly from customers um, that could influence you know, your overall product scope. Maybe there's something that didn't come out in a customer interview till later on in the process that shows us, hey, we actually totally missed a feature that should have been added. Or maybe there's new legal restrictions in the industry or country that you're operating in that requires you to make some changes within a product. Um, most notably, changes in California that required customers to be able to request and see the information that these companies are capturing on them and request that you not sell their information, for instance, or when uh, more privacy and, and GDPR regulations were instituted in Europe a few years ago. That ultimately ended up changing a lot of the product requirements and scope of some, some products already launched to market and I'm sure a ton of products that were going to be launched at the time. So this kind of goes back to um, back to the notion of, you know, stay stubborn on your vision, but flexible on the details as things and, and conditions may change over time. What is the career path for a PM? Yeah, um, great question. This totally varies from company to company. Again, based on the industry you're in, maturity of the company, maturity of your team or organization. Um, but I'll start kind of from the beginning. So you could start out as an associate product manager or APM as they're normally called. These folks are usually college grads and are put into a rotation program of sorts where over the course of six to nine months, you would work on three different products across a few different teams um, under the supervision of a more senior product manager and usually with a very thick scope. Um, for instance, 
An example is maybe you're working on a sustainability score for hosts at Airbnb. Um, something with, you know, that's kind of narrow targeted, um, not a ton of, um, not a ton of complexity. Then at the entry level product manager job, once you've sort of graduated from an APM, by the way, you do not need to start product management as an APM. That's just typically um, a route that, that I've seen a lot of college grads go in. Um, there's also just the entry level product managers. These folks are typically self-sufficient in owning a small to medium-sized product with some oversight. Um, so I, I'm not gonna go into too much detail on that. I think it's a little bit more straightforward. Um, then you could go up to a senior PM or even at some companies it's called like a principal PM. These folks are self-sufficient in owning a larger product or a suite of products with little to no oversight. So they have a think big mentality. They're on track to leading a broader group of PMs or like getting towards the, the manager track. This could be someone who's, you know, helping lead a brand new part of Airbnb that integrates like flights and transportation into your overall like vacation or Airbnb journey. Um, someone that's really looking at like a think big um, space and, and really trying to, you know, make broader um, company-wide or industry-wide changes. From here, um, there's also like more technical product managers, um, similar to a senior PM. Um, I'm a senior tech PM. We have more influence over like technical architecture and decision-making. Um, these folks typically can roll up their sleeves a bit. Um, they can, you know, they're probably comfortable pulling their own data, writing SQL, doing um, their own form of, of analytics. Um, they could help like dictate like, hey, maybe we should be using like more microservices for this, or we really need to concentrate on um, speed and latency, which means that could require us to invest in more sophisticated hardware components, things like that. Um, and overall are more of a strong tech partner to their, their technical counterparts. Um, and then from here, you could really go like into, I guess, uh, more of a managerial role. So this is when you start managing a group of PMs. It's also called a, a group PM <laughs> is a common term. And here you're kind of owning um, a, a part of the company or you're like leading a, a broader team. Um, and you know, helping a bunch of other teams like row in the right direction um, and accomplish like think big ideas. So that's, those are kind of like the different um, levels of PM and like different paths. And then from there, you really just ascend further and further to like the director level, the VP level. And beyond that, you're pretty much at a, at a CEO level. <laughs> so um, hope that helps put it into perspective. What are the different types of PMs? Yeah, there's a lot of different PMs um, depending on your industry, the type of product you're working on. Um, what I've seen based on my experience, and this is not a comprehensive list, I've kind of separated out between five or so buckets. So there's like your growth PM, your infrastructure and platform PM, your customer-facing or B2C, or sometimes called D2C, uh, PM, your B2B or business-to-business, -business, uh, or so software-as-a-service PMs, and then more 
internal tooling PM. So what I mean by a few of these, um, I'll describe them a bit more and what traits I've seen successful product managers in these areas have is, so as a growth PM, like imagine you're working at Uber in 2013 and you're really focused on scaling the product, driving broad adoption across the US. You're gonna be really focused on marketing, promotions. You're gonna have strong financial acumen. You're gonna be strongly in tune with market competitors, macroeconomic conditions, and, and really understanding how to um, drive stickiness and adoption of your product in, across a broad space. Um, then you have like infrastructure platform PM. So these folks are like really in tune with understanding the backend systems and infrastructure. They're typically designing for engineers or engineering teams and systems, which requires deep knowledge of these spaces and how to support a hierarchy of systems and applications. So maybe these folks like were previously backend engineers or, you know, understand a lot about like system architecture. Then we have the customer facing or B2C business to consumer PMs. Um, this is a space I operate in. It's my personal favorite. Um, these folks are very user experience focused. Um, I'm like best friends with my designers, UX researchers. Um, we're extremely analytics focused and we live and die by like design experimentation, especially at larger companies. You know, you're going to be A-B testing a different landing page and, and see how that drives sales. Um, these folks are typically more metric savvy and they're, um, this space is also becoming increasingly concerned with like personalization and, um, you know, how to make the most like tailored, wonderful experience for each customer at scale. Um, so that's like a really fun space. Then there comes the B2B or business to business. Um, this space is also increasingly selling software as a service. So these are B2B or SaaS PMs. These are folks that they work at companies that are selling a product to other businesses. So this is different than selling directly to consumers or the end user. This requires extreme focus on optimization and efficiency. Um, these products might not always be as fun. Like, you know, you might be working at Asana or like AWS um, and these products might not be the most sexy, but they bring in a lot of money and you typically have a smaller pool of customers, um, but they're bigger fish. So you have bigger fish in a smaller pond as your market. And this requires very strong business acumen as you need to convince your business customers as to why they should invest sometimes hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars in adopting your product and using it to drive um, their business needs. So um, that's an increasingly uh, growing space, as we know. Um, and then last but not least, internal tooling. So I've done a lot of this in my career as well. Um, these folks are typically well-versed in internal operations and customer needs. So you might be building out software for your HR team, for instance. Um, so you need to understand how different teams and systems work together within the company. And typically your core focus is on driving efficiency through automation. Um, so these are kind of the five different types of PMs that I would say are pretty common, but um, you know, there, it's, this is by no means a comprehensive list, but uh, yeah, these are, these are a lot of the, the different 
types of PMs I've encountered. What's your favorite aspect of being a PM? Great question. Um, yeah, my favorite aspect of being a PM is really like getting to create cool products that positively impact the world and make people's lives better. Um, and especially with an increasingly automated world, at the end of the day, I mean, chat GPT hasn't put us out of a job yet, but um, we we kind of get to dictate like the requirements of what product should be and why we get to build, you know, morality into products. We get to build equity into products. And I think that is so valuable and so powerful um, in today's day and age. And, and that's what really excites me. Um, and right now, I'm currently working on driving sustainability within Amazon fashion, um, which is a space that speaks to me personally um, and, and really means a lot. So it's awesome that I get to have a big platform to drive significant uh, worldwide change. What is the hardest aspect of being a PM? Yeah, this is totally different for everyone. Um, you know, with a lot of the good comes some of the not not as good moments. Um, part of the the tough part for me is you do have to do a fair amount of program management or what I like to call herding cats. Um, so getting a lot of different people sometimes on the same page. Sometimes we're the ones that need to resolve conflicts, or we need to be the ones sort of like applying the pressure and you know, kind of having some some tough conversations with folks. Um, but overall, this is a super important and a great skill for any PM to have. And uh, just for me, it's not always the most fun, creative part of the job. But um, it's I found that it's it's been necessary to uh, to get to get your products off the ground. So yeah, more of the program management or like herding cats is uh, not the most fun sometimes. What are some good indicators that a student might have a future in product management? Yeah, um, I've seen great PMs come from all different backgrounds. Um, I myself came from an ops background. Um, I have a ton of friends who got into it from engineering backgrounds, marketing, um, and beyond. So it really, the kernel of this is, it really requires understanding what customers want and why. The why is very important. And having a grit or willingness to learn, deep dive into a problem and knowing how to work with people to really bring it to life. Um, these successful product managers typically have good interpersonal skills. They're good at listening to others. They don't burn bridges. Um, you know, you attract more bees with honey rather than vinegar is, a, is an example I always like to say. Um, and these folks, they, they really keep a focus on customers, data, and advocating using those, um, using those two things to advocate for a product and, uh, you know, have a willingness and flexibility to iterate that approach based on new information and new insights. So again, staying stubborn on the vision, but flexible on the details. Do you know of any good resources for students interested in learning more about product management that you used when breaking into it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first and foremost is finding mentors who work in the field. Um, so whether it's, you know, through LinkedIn, through networking, whatever, finding people who have that lived experience and setting an hour with them each month and kind of like going through your 
questions, concerns, whatever, um, always having someone in the field is going to be so instrumental. Um, beyond that, uh, definitely a fair amount of books that I've read in this space, which which uh, we can link to this this podcast recording as well. Um, and I'll list out a few of them. Um, Inspired 2.0 by Marty Kagan, Nail It, Then Scale It, um, a classic for those of you going into interviews, Cracking the PM Interview is a cult classic. Um, the Design Sprint, How to Win Friends and Influence People, a book from the 1930s by Dale Carnegie. Um, these ones have been really helpful for me um, and is by no means a comprehensive list, but uh, super helpful. Beyond that, I would just say online learning and staying up to date on the news new technologies. Um, in online learning, there's a lot of different organizations you could join that have seminars with like real world PMs like me. Um, you could tune into podcasts like Dariush's. Um, and there's also other organizations like the product school has some seminars, a ton of YouTube videos on product management, interviews, um, technical systems, architectures, um, different courses on Coursera, like I took the ML course, that was really helpful. Um, and just, you know, as I said, staying up to date on the news, you know, your tech crunch. Um, and one that actually one of my mentors, Arun, shout out Arun, uh, mentioned to me is actually listening into the earnings calls of these top, top tech companies. It really tells you, you know, what these companies are valuing, what they're investing in, where they see the markets going, where they see the value of their company really contributing. Um, that is a super, super helpful tool as well to just have in your back pocket and kind of use as you're, you're navigating this space more broadly and, and uh, building out your career. So um, we'll, we'll link the rest of those resources uh, maybe to this podcast at the end. We'll definitely link all these resources uh, thank you, Sammy, so much for taking time out of your day to answer our questions and share your insights about products management with us. And to our listeners, I hope you learned something new today and stay tuned for our next episode. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Daryush. You're a great host. And uh, thanks for having me on the show. Take care, everyone.